welcome to the Families Voices podcast. Our podcast today is being recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I wish to acknowledge them as traditional owners. I pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. The Family Voices podcast is a series of conversations with families of young children with a developmental delay or disability. We aim to build parents' knowledge, skills and confidence in navigating early childhood services and supports. The podcast is also an opportunity for families to share their stories. This podcast series is brought to you by Early Childhood Intervention Australia, VicTAS. We're a membership-based organisation that's proudly worked alongside families, practitioners and other organisations that provide supports for young children with disability or developmental delay and their families for over 35 years. To learn more about the podcast and our organisation, please visit ekiavic.org.au. Hello, I'm Kerry Ball and it's my great pleasure today to welcome Lisa to Family Voices podcast. Hi there, Lisa. Hi, Kerry, and I'm delighted to be here today. Ah, great. And I understand that you're really interested in talking with us about friendships, and this is a topic that's really uh, dear to my heart. But why is it important to you, Lisa? It's important to me because I have a 27-year-old son, Sean, who has Down syndrome, and in the first hours and days after his birth, I had a really strong fear that he was going to grow up and be completely friendless, um, that we were going to be um, a family that became much more isolated over time and that really the only people who would love and care about him would be his dad and I and his older sister. And uh, I guess it was that nightmare really that really gave me the impetus to think, How can I make that different? Um, Because that's not the hopes and dreams that you have for any child. Um, And so I really did, over many years, start really thinking very seriously about what friendship is and why it's important. And I guess now at the age of 27, I can look back and go, gee, I sold Sean's short, you know, that he, he has more friends than most people I know. And he has a rich, inclusive life. And um, I guess I want other families to know that they're not powerless um, to make that better reality um, come true for their kids as well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, thanks for telling us about that. I think uh, for me, I hear this from so many families about one of their biggest worries in the early days is what you've described is about uh, being their child being isolated, not having friends and, and so on. But you uh, really worked on that and thought hard about what you might do about it. And, of course, you've already given uh, Sean the credit for doing this and being a, a young man now with, with lots of friends. Can you talk a bit more about your experience in those early days and what you think about that, about the, the, the parents' early worries? So I guess I think... One of, one of the issues is that we grow up in a culture which tells us that people with disability are burdens, that they 
um, need to be with their own kind, that um, unless you can walk and talk and act like a neurotypical person, that other people are going to um, reject um, mm. you. Um, and rejection is, you know, part of that experience, but it doesn't need to be the big part. Um, and I think what I what I've realised is that we also don't understand friendship. So we haven't really thought about why it's important and what are the barriers to friendship for any of us. So one of the big myths of, about friendship that I want to kind of challenge is the idea that there is nothing we can do to make friendship more possible. So I think that absolutely we can't manufacture um, a friendship for anyone, but there is lots of things that we can do um, to make it more possible. So if I think back to those early days, the first thing I needed to do was really to believe that friendship was possible. John uh, didn't need to be fixed. He didn't need to be any different from who he was to be loved in the world and to find his place in the world. And I also, I needed to believe that there would be people in community who saw the gifts that we saw as his family that would want to hang out with him and that would, um, you know, enjoy his company. Yeah. And I guess I needed to overcome my own fears that he would be rejected to go to those ordinary places in community. Um, but each time I did that, each time I faced those fears and, you know, took him, whether it was to the, you know, the playgroup or the playground or childcare or, you know, the kinder gym or whatever it was, and I saw, you know, people respond to him, that built my courage to keep taking the next step along that ordinary path. Yeah. So it sounds like just part of that was getting out in community being with other people and both they and Sean showed you that this was possible and allowed you to believe that it was possible. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, I think it was also, I guess, making friendship a priority. Uh-huh. But there's a saying that I really like, which is, you know, the grass is greener where you water it. <laughs> and I think sometimes we can bemoan our circumstances if you like or feel um feel resentful that we've got that you know harder path if you like and and that is a reality it was certainly not easy to bring home a baby you know on oxygen and nasogastric feeds and all the medical kind of stuff um so you know I'm not saying that it there aren't really practical barriers sometimes to to families doing this I want to keep that real but it's like if we want a rich life that is full of relationships, then we really need to focus on that with some with some intention and really, you know, pay attention to that. Um, and that sometimes also requires us to give up some of the other things that are keeping us from that priority. Mm -hmm. um, so I really believe that um, friendships and relationships are what make any of our lives worthwhile. You know, that it doesn't matter, you know, what sort of a house you live in or what car you drive or it's the quality of our relationships that make um, our lives rich. And so, you know, at times it's meant that I've just needed to think, well, what else am I going to let go yeah. um, to focus on on that, which is a bigger priority for Sean. Yeah. Um, so, 
And I found that to be true. You know, there are just things that um, <laughs> whether it's a clean house or, a, you know, skipping that, that appointment or not scheduling so many other things um, and really having the space to, um, you know, when Hishaw was younger, to have the play dates, to have the um, park catch-ups, to be in the, you know, doing the same ordinary things that other kids do rather than running around to a lots of therapy appointments. Yes. I have really found that to be a, an incredibly important investment of my time and well worth giving up on those other things. Yeah, so. yeah. So you really made your priorities very clear for yourself about how you were going to manage that and friendships relationships was right up there uh the top of the list yeah you you've mentioned um lisa a couple of things that you've done over the years like going to play groups and organizing play dates can you give us any other practical examples of how you took opportunities to to support sean to make friends I mean, I think that is the first thing is that you just have to be in the ordinary places. So um, for us, even though it terrified me, I guess being at the local kind of regular school was a really important part of our vision for, for Sean. So we wanted him to be known in our local community. We wanted him to have those opportunities for, for friendships to, you know, deepen over time. And I guess once he was in whether it was, you know, childcare or school, we had an older daughter. So I really looked at, you know, what her life was like and thought how could Sean's life be similar to that? So that meant, for example, that Sean wasn't going to be asking me for play dates. He wasn't going to be naming kids and asking if they could come and play. He wasn't going to be saying, all my friends are joining the soccer team, can I join? Um, But I really took that lead and thought, well, what are what are the typical things that, you know, kids of this age are doing? And um, I guess the part of that I just want to say is things did not always go smoothly. So it's not like, you know, I can remember play dates where, you know, you'd have, I'd put a lot of effort into, you know, setting up activities that I thought Sean and the friend could participate in and then Sean would go and put on a Wiggles video and sit there and completely ignore his friend or hit his friend or, you know, just just things that did not go like I'd imagined. Uh-huh. Um, and there were uncomfortable moments in joining some of those extracurricular things where, of course, I could see the gap between Sean and the other kids. So that was a real... Um, lesson in persevering so I I think that's one of the things that sometimes people don't keep going because of our own emotional reaction to some of those things that we that we observe and another thing that we did a lot of was host parties Um, so birthday parties but uh, actually a thousand other parties Halloween parties Easter parties end of term parties Um, so I think being the person who says puts their hand up and says we'll do an end of term you know barbecue at our place means your child is absolutely getting an invitation to that party right yeah and we always tried to kind of make those very inclusive put a lot of time into the planning so that they would be fun I guess I want to say as well that we got much better at 
following people up, making explicit the desire for friendship. So I think because of those things that I talked about earlier, some of the myths that are there, like that people with disability need their own kind, sometimes people didn't know um, that Sean would like to be invited to their home or maybe we also had to have those conversations about because sometimes people are fearful to host a child with a disability so we needed to just help other people to feel more comfortable with some of that reciprocity that we were seeking another thing that I did was I had a list of kids like that that comes to the intentionality so I would be always thinking okay so who are the kids who seem interested in Sean um and you know what's a way if it wasn't a play date you know what's a way that we could initiate something so that they could you know spend more time together so and I still do that I still have a list of people who we were trying to maintain a friendship with with Sean. Sean has always loved birthdays, so he's always been very interested in his birthday. Pretty much as soon as one's done, we had to keep working on the next one. <laughs> he's also interested in other people's birthdays. So, yeah. like, I wouldn't underestimate just the smallest tokens of friendship, you know, like a, a birthday card and a little, you know, little treat in an envelope or um just just again it's making explicit the desire for for friendship can I just say one more would be yes please kids need need good ambassadors so kids with disability so you do need to sometimes um be there to you know to interpret or to smooth over you know, the miscommunications. So, you know, Sean had, um, you know, one time where one of his best friends now, a girl he's known since grade one, he's now 27, so they've been friends for 22 years. Um, He strangled her, you know, at, at school. Like I was mortified. So, but actually going to... The parents going to um, Harriet and really smoothing that over rather than hiding or not facing that was really important I think in in maintaining um, that relationship. Yeah you really just well as you say prioritizing friendships and uh, and being an ambassador as you say supporting it all the way. Um, I think you're right. You talk about perseverance and courage, and I, I think they're they're good words to be using too. Because you prioritised, you really put your your efforts into it, and and have seen the the benefits of that. That's great to hear those yeah. practical as I, as, tips. As you talk about courage, um, Kerry, I guess I'm thinking also of the importance of um, taking some risks. You know, so that became increasingly important as Sean grew older you know so he got invited sometimes when he was in that early high school time you know to go out with his friends to to South Bank in Brisbane and I would thought oh my god that could go very badly he's not very you know safe you know what it's a big responsibility for them Um, but I knew it would sort of also kind of kill the thing to to you know send him with a support worker if you like so I think it was really important to say yes to all invitations um that's another part of making it a priority right is that I don't think there was ever um an invitation 
that we turned down. You know, if, if, if Sean was invited, we would, you know, move heaven and earth for him to be able to, yeah. to be there. But also that we tried to take some risks and, and just kind of work out some contingency plans so it will, would be safe, people wouldn't be um, left, left exposed or et cetera, either Sean or the people who, who had made the invitation. Mm. And also I got much better in terms of, kind of what I call closing the deal. And that's, you know, I guess where people say we must catch up. Yes. And that hangs there and nobody takes the first step <laughs> of actually going, that'd be great. Sean would love to catch up and proposing the date and following yeah. it through. And um, I think actually all of us would benefit from a bit more of that approach yeah, yeah. time. Yeah. And I think, I guess another part for me of the courage piece is actually facing our own fears and vulnerability and not letting that be a barrier. So, you know, feeling the fear and doing it anyway. And sometimes an idea that gets in our head is that it's not a real friendship unless it's kind of 50% reciprocal you know like that 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 you know we we invite once and then we wait for the return invite and then we don't invite again until we've had that return invite and I actually think that's very self-defeating when we've got kids with disability for those reasons that our kids need it more and that there are lots of good reasons why you don't get that reciprocal invite including you know of the other person of the other parents um, own own fears or their own busyness and and is is actually okay to be the person who does more of the heavy lifting on that and that is not a sign that there's not a genuine friendship or there's not you know particularly in in the early childhood kind of years you know it's not that the child isn't interested in your yeah. in your child. Yeah. It's that maybe the parent doesn't have the capacity to do that. So yeah. um, that would that's you know really I think having a having a thick skin at those experiences where you you know someone says something a little bit mm, yeah so thick skin open heart I think is a good way to live. Yeah, that's a nice way to think about it. And you, you've given us some other nice little catchphrases too, I think, Lisa, about sealing the deal and so on. And isn't it so for all of us in our relationships and friendships that uh, the give and take is not always 50-50? In fact, mostly it's a bit of a roller coaster, isn't it, where one person will be putting in at times and then pulling back. And it's, it's more like a dance, isn't it, the way we manage that? Yeah. But you've had to manage that at times uh, for and on behalf of um, Sean. Yeah, and I yeah. think we still have, you know, so Sean's been living in his own home now for um, three years and we still have some strategies to do that. So he's still hosting big parties. COVID almost <laughs> killed him, of course. It was like, oh, my God, he really couldn't understand all of that, <laughs> why you couldn't still have, a you know, 100 people crammed into his apartment. But um we worked through that, and but he has a strategy now where every Monday night he invites people for dinner. People love coming for dinner. Um, it's a really good way for him to maintain those friendships, and he does get lots of you know return invites from that strategy. And so again, all of us would probably benefit from some of that structure. You know, it's it's almost like if you have um, a group of friends that you always you know catch up for a bushwalk on or always have dinner once a month, you're just much more likely to maintain 
um, those friendships. So, yeah, yeah. Um, like he's got friends who he regularly went swimming with, you know, a couple of mornings a week um, right through to a couple of years ago when they all sort of moved too far away from a common pool. Yeah. And that was a really important way that they maintained um, those friendships. Yeah. I was interested in that, um, Lisa, because you gave some examples of when he was a very young boy, a preschooler and, and play dates and play group and so on. In his school years, were there friendships developed through either arts or leisure or sports activities that he was uh, interested in? So I guess probably most of the activities early on were there was, you know, the groups of kids that he went to school with and then local community kids. So it probably wasn't until high school where I would see that those groups were a little bit separate, if you like. Um, but Sean, Sean did struggle in the high school years with, with friendships. So we were very lucky and, you know, we had been intentional about trying to maintain um, friends from primary school. But, of course, he wasn't seeing those um, kids on a, you know, daily basis and not, not even a weekly basis um, because, of course, weekends get busy. So, you know, I'd say, yeah, probably in nine and 10, he was really struggling to find his place. And I was struggling to work out how I could support him. It it was, it wasn't that um, time where it was really so easy as a parent to be communicating with 14 and 15 year old boys, right? It felt a little bit um, more uncomfortable. It was easier once Um, Sean actually had his own mobile phone, his own Facebook account, and I could support him to, um, you know, do some of that connecting um, and inviting. But the most potent thing that we did was that he joined the rugby program Uh and he, those boys absolutely became his tribe. So he, um, and that was a bit of an effort because, you know, he wasn't really a rugby player and he wasn't really, he liked um, spectating really. And so, you know, we would drive all around Brisbane so he could be part of that rugby program and, and be a really regular um, participator and I would say he went from being pretty you know lonely and struggling to find his place at least in the high school environment to absolutely finding his tribe and his people and he's oh, going yeah. off on the weekend to a an engagement party of one of the boys that he went to went to school with and so I think that was a real lesson to me that we have to be a bit of a detective at times you know we need to work out in this school or in this community, what are the places that, um, and we need to try, you know, it's trial and error. Not everything that we do will work. Um, but once we know, you know, we tune into who our child is and yes. what they're likely to be interested in, where they're more likely to find their tribe. Yeah. So he wasn't going to find his tribe in the orchestra. You know, yes. that wasn't going to be him. Yeah. So I kind of knew that. Um, yeah, so that, I, I guess that's what I think. You're tuning into their interests and then you're being a, a bit of a detective because Sean wasn't able to tell me about all the things, you know, at school. I'd often be talking to the parents of, you know, the boys and saying, yeah. you know, what are the things that are big in this school? Yes. I mean, I'd, read, I'd read the school new, newsletters and things yeah. like that, but sometimes there's just a piece that's missing from that kind of formal yeah. um, information. So really I, w- I was often asking throughout the years, you know, parents of boys around the same age, 
you know, what's cool at this age? What do, yes, what are yes. the things that, you know, I should be introducing Sean to? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, if, if we were hosting a party or we were, you know, hosting a child, knowing the things that other boys were doing at yeah. the same age was really valuable intel. Yeah. So. Yeah. so both following Sean's interests at the time but also extending them by knowing what uh, peer group, what, what the other kids were into and doing, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, and I, th- I think there's something around what I would say is now I, I've just got such a pattern of always of seeing opportunities. So yeah. I still have a, now it's a little blue book, but it used to be a little black book where I would <laughs> write down kids' names um, and try and get contact details, etc. And I would I also just every time an idea popped into my head, maybe Sean might be, you know, I'd hear of an activity in the community, I would write it down just so that I didn't didn't forget it because at times I did feel like I wasn't that inspired, right? Yeah. Or it was hard to imagine, you know, so you go along and things are working really well for a while and, you know, it's got lots of activity and lots of things happening and then you get a bit of a lull and that's okay to have a lull for a little while, but if it goes on too long, you have to refocus. Um, so I would just write things down and and... And then that would help me to, at those times where you thought, actually, Sean's ready for something new. Yes. Some things have fallen away. So what else do we need to be putting in place to um, rebuild that? It seems to me, um, Lisa, that the focus you've had on friendships has just continued all through Sean's life. The other thing I'm thinking about is how what a social being you have needed to be in terms yeah. of following up on all of these things. You've really needed to step out and be very proactive about this, but but now the fruits of it all are, are there for you and you've described uh, Sean's life now. It's, uh, it's inspiring. I think that um, I guess what I would want to say is that I'm aware that talking about it in that way can feel like a lot of work Mm -hmm. but um what I found is that it has meant we are not so reliant on formal services so I know for lots of families they're really concerned about you know the future of the NDIS and whether the funding will be there in the future and I guess what I didn't say um is that some of this focus on friendship is absolutely about who will be there for Sean when we're no longer around, right? Yeah. That is a that is the big, big fear that we have yeah. as parents, right? So I I feel really confident at the age Sean is now that he is um one, he's had people who are completely committed to him and have been now for several decades in his life. Um, and he has a sense of himself. I think that's the other thing that friendship gives you. It gives you a sense of yourself as valuable and important, and he is now making friends well and truly independently of us, and, yeah, there are just people who are really, really committed to him, and and it means that, you know, we have people just offering to, you know, pick him up and take him to parties, and that's been happening since kids had their licences, right? So we haven't been thinking oh, we need, you know, a support worker on the weekend so Sean can have community access. That is not Mm. something we've ever needed to think about. He has some paid support to enable him to live independently, but he lives with a non-disabled flatmate with just a bit of drop-in support and the rest of his life Mm. is really 
very ordinary because he has all of these relationships, freely yeah. given relationships um, that yeah. enable him to live a life. So you're really emphasising then that not wanting to be reliant on formal supports but rather to kind of mobilise all the informal supports that are available through family and friends and, well, friendships in, in particular you've talked about. And I, and I think, Lisa, you talked about that even when he was a very uh, young child. You said you were prioritising um, going to ordinary places, doing ordinary things with him over therapy appointments at times because your your emphasis was on developing these relationships with others. Yeah, and it became really clear, particularly when Sean was in school, um, you know, that I had the, had the choice to drive across town to lots of after-school therapy appointments or we could um, spend some time in the park with one of his school friends or, you know, go to the Kick that was at the school. And it, that felt very different. And it was incredibly freeing to actually go um, two things. One, yeah. Sean doesn't need to be fixed. You know, he needs to be supported in some things and, and you know, we dip in and out of therapy, but... I didn't want his memories of his childhood to be of driving across Brisbane and sitting in a therapist's office. Mm. I wanted his memories to be of that ordinary life. And and I think it's recognising all of us have limits as parents, you know, in our own, you know, energy, et cetera. So if I was going to have the energy to host parties and, Mm. you know, folk (laughs) to write write my notebook notes about friends and, you know, go, go to the extracurricular activities, I wasn't going to have I wasn't going to have that energy as a parent if I was, um, you know, driving across Brisbane either. So, well, yeah, yeah. I, I think the, the the thing you're talking about here is about Sean um, learning when he was out in ordinary places doing ordinary things uh, with uh, his mates. Yeah. Um, that that was a learning opportunity, and you you had prioritised that. Yeah. So def- definitely, I think you know that it's not that you know, his development w- wasn't important to us. It was yes. about how yes. we absolutely um, how we yes. you know gave him those opportunities to keep keep developing. And so you know we and again probably when we had a support worker, we would use that support worker hours to help Sean to participate in soccer or, or to be the host for the play date rather than some therapy goal um and that was also really kind of valuable too because yeah, yeah just helped that to be much more, more yeah. successful. that's so interesting to hear you talk about that lisa what one of the things that you've mentioned is you've talked about people with a disability having an inclusive life what do you mean by that I guess I mean that it's as um, kind of both ordinary and extraordinary. You know, I think that, um, you know, what I wanted for Sean was where he would um, be known in our local community but have a sense of himself as, you know, valued and important, have the opportunities to explore life on his own, um, but to be... I guess embedded within a web of relationships. So that that to me is kind of what you know ordinary life is. We talk a lot about independence, but actually I I don't I'm not independent. Um, yeah, I still yeah. rely on people, and that's what that's what I was wanting wanting for Sean. So 
typical, but some adventure, you know, some. So that's the extraordinary. It's sort of the the moments of magic between all of the kind of routine of life. And I guess I looked at what the lives of most adults with disability are like. So I've worked in the disability sector as well. And I looked at what I thought they were living, which was a parallel existence to that of most um, most Australians. So um, an existence which was very separated from regular community, a life that was kind of narrow in my in my view and you know the stats on the number of relationships that most people with disability have outside their family are really sobering so I looked at that reality and I thought not that first I think uh, you know that was driven by that fear uh, and it was driven by seeing how I saw you know the majority of people with disability live and so I was first choosing not that yeah. And then I was thinking, I just want it to be ordinary, but rich ordinary. Yes, yeah. Which in, and you 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 talk about extraordinary. It's a lovely way of thinking about it. Yeah. Thank thanks for describing that for me, Lisa. Now that Sean's twenty seven, are there any final thoughts that you or messages you'd like to give to families who are listening to this podcast? Um, I just really encourage people to believe. First of all, believe in your child, um, believe that they are lovable and worthy and that there are good people in community who will also see that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'd encourage people for their vision and those hopes and dreams to be stronger than the naysayers. So lots of people will say um, say things, I say unhelpful things. So I had school, for example, saying, oh, you know, the gap is getting wider between Sean and his friends. So if you can't really expect that friendships to be the same. Um, I had lots of times where we had to really resist being pushed onto the special path, you know, so special disability specific activities, um, special education, um, And another point I guess I just want to make around is that families have to be vigilant about the damage that can be done where we fall back into habits of um, segregation or low expectations. So was one of the roles I needed to play during Sean's school years was actually to stop some of damage to relationships from happening. So that was where perhaps... Sean didn't have the same chance to be with his friends because he was only with the teacher aide or where perhaps the adults were role modelling that Sean was more of a charity project, if you like, than a friend. So I needed to have some tough conversations sometimes with with school about um, our vision for him and how not to make those mistakes, which I saw as you know, potentially damaging the relationships that Sean had. Um, And so for us to always have that vision of where we wanted to be in the long term and pay attention to, um, you know, what we wanted as a family rather than what the world expected was really important. Mm. And I think that it is possible to be more courageous than we feel you know, that I still sometimes feel terrified when Sean wants to invite, you know, a whole pile of people. I I still have a little niggling kind of, what if nobody comes, you know, that kind of, that kind of thing, or 
Um, so I, I think absolutely we need to build that courage. And I think the other thing that um, I would want to say is it's worth it. So it is absolutely, um, I had lots of times where you thought, I'm not sure if, you know, um, it's worth, um, you know, following up that friend who's left the school, for example, um, you know, um, yeah, lots, lots and lots of examples where you think, yeah, just so busy that it's really hard yeah. to hard yeah. make it a priority. And of course, when I talk about that, there were times when I just did have to take a break. I'm not superwoman. I, uh, but yeah, so I think just all of the efforts that we um, undertook, imperfect as they were, messy as they were, have been absolutely worth it for the for the life that Sean um, lives now. And it becomes easier. This it has a momentum of its own where you get the rewards and um, it doesn't feel like work when you see yes. your child living a wonderful life. Yeah. Thank you, Lisa. Um, thank you for sharing all your thoughts about, well, Sean's ordinary and extraordinary life um, and your, your commitment to supporting friendships. I think there's really important things for us to be learning from your words of wisdom. So thanks so much for joining our podcast. Thank you for the opportunity. As you can tell, it's a topic I'm very passionate about. So, um, and I, yeah, I wish your listeners well. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Parents have often shared with me their worries about whether their child will have friends in the future and their concern about the isolation they might experience later in life. Lisa said this was a very real fear for her when Sean was an infant, but she turned this into a vision of an inclusive life for Sean. For Lisa, that means both an ordinary and an extraordinary life. She discussed this with us in terms of Sean having a sense of himself opportunities to explore life and being embedded in what she called a web of relationships. Supporting Sean to meet other children, make friends and maintain friendships became a priority for Lisa. At times it took precedence over other things like therapy appointments so that she could help Sean learn and develop in what she referred to as ordinary places or activities like playgroup, the playground, playdates and parties. Lisa said this really started with her believing that friendships were possible. She then became really intentional in making sure it happened, putting friendships at the top of the list among the busyness of family life. Lisa shared practical strategies with us, like using structure and shared interests, and also what she called sealing the deal, not leaving opportunities to chance. She acknowledged that this took perseverance and even courage at times. But I found her description of Sean's ordinary and extraordinary life now as a young man really uplifting. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Family Voices. Make sure you subscribe on your podcast app and feel free to leave a review to help us gain more of an understanding of what types of conversations are helpful to you. More information about the podcast can be found on ekiavik.org.au. Until next time, thank you for listening.